Let's, let's pray together. Lord, as we settle in and, and, and seek to listen to you, hear from you, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you want us to receive and believe. Because it is when we believe in what you tell us, remind us, that leads to behaviors, actions that are transformative for us and others as you work in us and through us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive and believe so that we might live before the freedom in Christ that we enjoy. But, Lord, we, we, if we're honest, we will admit that there are times, maybe lots of times, when we don't walk in that freedom because we've allowed other things to disqualify us, uh, to distract us, to enslave us, and to keep us from living out that freedom we have. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to see where we get that freedom and how we walk in that freedom consistently and faithfully um, for our good and for your glory. And we ask you to help us do that today in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen, amen indeed. So if I was to yell at the top of my lungs, which I will not do, freedom! Who would you think of? Say it again. Braveheart. Yes, yes, Braveheart. I was thinking you were going to say Dave Ramsey, so. <laughs> um, that's what I thought would come to mind first. But Braveheart, where the main character's name is William Wallace, a Scotsman, who's played by Mel Gibson in the latest version of that movie. So, uh, yes, Braveheart, and he yells freedom because the Scots are trying to gain their freedom from the oppressive British in those days. You know, the British, they're always the bad guys, it seems like. But um, uh, freedom, right? And we, were, we, on the 4th of July, we celebrate for our nation our independence or our freedom, right? And it's a cherished thing. As Americans, it's probably one of our highest values is we like to be free because we don't like anybody telling us what to do when those two don't exactly always line up just like that, okay? Freedom actually has boundaries. Um, in, the, in the words of that great theologian, former Navy SEAL Jocko Willick, discipline equals freedom. And there's a lot of wisdom in that, and I think that's part of why the, one of the fruit of the Spirit of God is self-control, discipline. But freedom is the point today, and what I want to help us with today is how to walk in freedom. Um, it's, we live in a day when there are a lot of competing influences in our lives. There's a lot of things happening in our lives that we hear and experience from a lot of different sources that are pulling at us, trying to influence us to think a certain way, believe a certain way, and act a certain way. Okay, and I don't think you'd probably disagree with this. I mean, if you, if you are alive and breathing and have a cell phone or access to the internet, you know that you're bombarded with ads. This is why you get free apps. This is why you get free email. This is why you get free so many things because there's an agenda behind free. It's not really free. It's costing you and me something to use those free things. And that is your attention and the potential of your behavior changing because of something you will see, read, hear, click on. Fair? It's, the, it's part of the internet economy. 
It doesn't just happen online, billboards and magazines and TV and all, all the different things we put um, labels on. A lot of our clothing today has a, has a tag on it and it's on the outside instead of on the inside so that people can see what brand you're wearing. There, it's, it's ubiquitous, I don't get to use that word very often, in our society. Um, and it is because there are people who want to influence you and me. Okay, And a lot of those influences are not towards Christ. Most of them are not. And we are so inundated by this that we don't even think about it a lot of times. We just, it's just something we navigate in the flow of the day. And Paul is going to warn us. The Apostle Paul, in this letter to this church and these Christians in the city of Colossae 2,000 years ago, he's going to warn them and there through them warn us that there are a lot of different ways that the enemy and the world, intentionally and unintentionally, will try to cause us to not walk in freedom. And we need to be aware so that we can do something about that. So that we don't um, naively walk out of freedom. Now, I want to make this really clear. You cannot walk in the freedom of Christ without Christ. You have to know Christ, not just about Jesus Christ, but you need to know him as in have a personal relationship to know what it means to walk in that freedom. But, uh, But I'm also talking to those, so I'm talking to those who know Christ because many times we find ourselves not walking in the freedom that we've already enjoyed. And I've used this picture before. It's like we've been in prison. The cell door has been opened. We've walked out. We've experienced the freedom we have because we are now free. We've served our sentence or we've been given mercy and grace and just freed. And it's like we walk back into the cell and sit on the bunk and we just stay in the cell, even though the door is unlocked and we are free to go. And that would be ridiculous, right? Nobody would choose to do that in, on purpose. But spiritually, when you and I don't walk in the freedom we have in Christ, we are doing that very thing. If you don't know Christ, then you're in the cell and the door's still locked. But there is a way out. And you don't have to dig through the wall with a spoon to do it. Christ brings mercy and grace, and he makes it available through what he did on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to take the punishment that the cross delivered He took it on our behalf. And when we believe and rest our lives and our faith in that, he frees us. So that's kind of what he's focusing on. Now, the the remedy, if you you don't write anything down except this, this is probably worth writing down because the remedy to, like, how do I walk in Christ is to recognize who Christ is and what he's done. Okay? And I'm going to read again, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, who Christ is, because it's important, because if you don't recognize Jesus as who he says he is, then you're, you're either going to worship an inferior version of him, or you're not going to worship him at all. And that's, that's where everything falls apart. But it's not just knowing who he is, it's, it's what he's done. And more specifically, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. So it's past, present, and future, because Jesus is always working. He's working in the past. We can look at the cross. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ all happened in the past, but it all unlocks the ability for us to walk in that freedom. What is he doing right now? He's sanctifying and continuing to save people from their sins to freedom in Christ. He's doing that actively in and through us right now. And what is he going to do? He's going to come back and he's going to finish what he started. He's going to finish. The best is yet to come. So, so it's recognizing who he is and what he's done. So let's go back and read verses 15 through 20 briefly. Um, I want you to see and remind us who it is we're talking about. So let's look at starting in verse 15. This should be on the screen. The son.
Son, that's referring to Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah. The Son is the image of the invisible God. In other words, you can see what God is like by looking at Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn not meaning he was the first person born. It means he gets the rights of a firstborn. He's eternal. He's never been. Jesus, Son of God, has always been. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. So there's our creator. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Okay, so he's the means of creation and he is the reason for creation. It is to please and glorify him. He is before all things, preexistent, eternal in that direction. And in him all things hold together. Sustainer, um, that's a good uh, physics uh, problem to talk about, you know, how is it possible for protons and, and neutrons and electrons to stay together when they want to fly apart? There's something holding them together. It's called Jesus. I don't think you'll find him in a physics book, but he's there. And he is the head of the body, which is another name for the church, which is another name for us, those of us in Christ together. And then it says he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. That means he's the first one not raised from the dead, but the first one resurrected. Raised, to, raised from the dead means you can die again. Resurrected, raised to live forever. And that's what you and I have to look forward to if we're in Christ. It's why we shouldn't fear death. death. So that, here's the reason, in everything he might have the supremacy. This is why he is preeminent. This is why we worship him, because there's no one higher or more worthy than he. Than he. And I cannot overstate that. I cannot overstate that other than annoy you. It would be true and worthy if I didn't say anything else but repeat that phrase over and over. Christ is supreme. Christ is preeminent. He is worthy. Over and over and over, then that would be time well spent. In fact, there are angels right now in heaven saying nothing more than, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Repeat. I'm sure they do it much more beautiful than that. And then it says, for God was pleased. Anything that pleases God is important for us to note. Sorry, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So here's God the Father pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus the Christ. So he's fully divine. There's no sort of God. There's no, he's an angel. There's none of that nonsense. Fully man, Fully God. No, I can't explain it. That's what Scripture teaches. He's pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to do this great work of reconciliation, reconciling us to him. He says, reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the price of peace is the life of his only begotten unblemished, holy son. Okay? So, that's who we're talking about. So I need to re recognize and acknowledge Jesus is who he said he is and that he's going to do all that he's promised to do. When I acknowledge, embrace, and walk in that, rest in that, then what happens is my life becomes one that falls in step with him and I start walking in the law of Christ, which is the law of love, another way of saying. And I don't have to worry about the law of anything else. And Paul's going to drive that point home here as he talks about four warnings that the Colossians need to be paying attention to so that they won't get enslaved, entrapped, captured by these lies, these false-isms of 
Gnosticism and legalism and mysticism and asceticism, all these. And there's plenty of other humanisms we could talk about. The point is that there are things out there that are coming through all this information we're receiving that are derailing our faith, and we need to pay attention to that. You say, well, what difference does that make? Well, it impacts the way you handle your marriage. It impacts the way you handle your kids or your parents. It impacts the way you tackle your job or your schoolwork. It impacts how you interact with your neighbors. It impacts the joy in your life or lack thereof. It impacts everything in your life. There is not an area of your life that is not touched by this freedom in Christ. If you feel like life is a drudgery and you feel like you're on the grind and that's all you're experiencing, you're not experiencing the freedom in Christ that you could experience by grace through faith. Okay? So... Um, let's, let's dive in a little further, okay? Now, I'm going to um, refer to Acts 16. I'm not going to read it, but I want to, uh, I, I'm going to flip because there's a couple of verses I'm going to point to. But before I do that, I want to give you an exercise that will finish at the end. If you have a Bible, physical Bible, if you have a digital one, that's great. If you have a physical Bible, then look for a piece of paper. I want you to grab that piece of paper, or if you need a welcome card or whatever, and just write your name on it. This is for you to keep. And we will finish this object lesson at the very end. So I've got my piece of paper with my name on it, okay? And it's, it lives in my Bible because of the illustration that this will, will bring us. But then we'll come back to that. So there's a story about a little girl. And this little girl is probably somewhere between 8 and 12 years old. Don't know her name. She lived in a, in a city called Philippi, which is in Europe. True story, because we see Paul and Silas are walking down the boulevard, and every day they walk by this little girl. And this little girl shouts something out every time they walk by. And she says something like, uh, let's see, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they're telling you how to be saved. Day after day, that happened. And Paul knew what was going on here, because he knew that she was a slave to a man who was using her to sell uh, her ability to tell their fortunes, fortune teller. Now, I'm not saying all fortune tellers can deliver, but this one could because she was possessed by a demon. And in case you're wondering, demons are a real thing and they have real power, even though it's nothing compared to Christ's power. It's, it's real and, it, and it's why people fall for it. It's powerful enough to deceive. So here's this girl enslaved twice to this man and to the demon, and Paul's had enough, and he walks by, and one day he's like, I've had enough. And he turns around, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Can you imagine? Now, I haven't tried this. I'm not going to tell you not to try it at home. You may have kids. But you know what I'm saying. Just Don't just flippantly do this. But it's real. It's not something that just happened back then, I don't think. I don't think these things have ceased to happen. You just go to some remote villages in Africa and, and just pretend there aren't demons. And yeah, okay? So, um, so here we have this little girl who's been set free by the Jesus. So now she's only one slave. She's not two. I don't know. We don't know. We don't get any more of her story. I kind of like to think she became part of the church at Philippi that started with Lydia and crowd, her crowd. So Paul is then caught up into basically a mob because this guy is mad, because now his, his place of earning money is gone. This one of his places of earning money, because she can't tell fortunes anymore, so he can't charge people. 
So he ends up, he and Silas are caught up into the mob and they end up getting arrested and thrown into the jail. And in the middle of the jail, there are these racks where they, stocks where they put their heads and their arms and their feet through and they're shackled and they're in the middle of the, of the worst part of the dungeon because it's the most secure. They are not free in the eyes of the observer, are they? But they know they are still free in Christ and they behave as if they were free and not in the stocks. So what are they doing? How do we know what they're doing? If you were to read further, you would see they are literally singing praises to God at midnight. Okay? Now, I'm not even awake at midnight, much less when I'm bleeding and oozing and bruised and battered and just easily having a pity party under those circumstances. Lord, why? I was doing a good thing. I delivered her from... Nope. I've got you right where I want you, and you are free, though you are in chains. Okay? What's interesting is that when we go back to Colossians, we're reading a letter written about the freedom of Christ by a man who's in chains also. Paul is in prison when he writes the letter about freedom. And that um, that just tells you he's not talking about freedom that we observe. He's talking about something much deeper, much more profound. And we've got to wake up and recognize this. We've got to quit living with just what we can see. You, are all, you all are going through challenges and problems and trials in your lives, and you're trying to apply remedies to those trials with things you can see. You're using things to medicate yourself, legitimately or not, and you're not going to the one who can set you free. Come on, wake up. We need to wake up, okay? I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate things that you can do to help, but I'm saying the ultimate Savior is your source of true freedom. He is the one who can restore your marriage. He is the one that can fix your health. He is the one that can give you the grace to manage chronic health. He is the one that will be there when you feel alone. He is the one that will not leave you alone because he loves you, because he knows. He sees what you're going through. He knows the pain you feel. And there's no pain you're experiencing that he can't relate to and that he hasn't felt times a hundred. So there's empathy as well as mercy and grace in that. So he, he sings, they sing, they're singing praises to God. Now imagine being a prisoner in one of those other cells and you're hearing these guys and you're going, these guys are looney tunes, man. They are, they are singing praises to God for being arrested. I don't understand. Well, of course they don't understand. They haven't heard the truth yet, but through the singing of the songs and probably some preaching that Paul could probably do with his head this way without the scriptures because he's got it all and memorized and they probably hear the gospel at least multiple times. Because what happens next is explained in part by that, I think, because there's an earthquake that it appears is providential and supernatural because the earthquake's so effective that it not only shakes the whole building and the whole city, but it causes the shackles to fall open, the stocks to break open, the doors and the cells to break open, such that when the jailer comes back in after the earthquake, he's, he's going to take his own life because he's convinced everybody's escaped. And that's the price you pay for being a jailer who loses his prisoners. You pay the, the crime, the prime, you take the punishment that they all deserve because you let them go. So he's about ready to, to gut himself, and Paul says, wait, stop, we're all still here. Now, if I'm one of the other prisoners, I'm not real happy about that, but Paul said it, and it's too late. We're all here, don't take your life. So, he, so what does he do? The jailer gets on his knees and says, how can I be saved? And I'm going, wait a minute, didn't he just save you? Okay, you want him to save you, not in the visible, but in the what matters most, right? 
And so Paul then leads him to Christ, and then he takes him home. Okay, he takes this criminal, and he takes him to his home where his kids are. It's way after midnight now. He cleans his wounds. He feeds him. He wakes his family up to come in, and then Paul leads them to the Lord too. And then he baptizes them, okay? Anybody wondering if baptism is important to Paul? It's 2, 3 in the morning, and he's baptizing them before sunrise. Hello, right? Not being ashamed of Christ means I'm willing to pay the price, whatever that looks like when I identify with Christ publicly. But that's another sermon for another time. So they wake up, they go back to the jail, and then the drama unfolds. But basically, we go from, we, we see a, a child freed from one slavery. We see this jailer and his family freed from the slavery that they were under, which was, you know, darkness that comes from being apart from Christ. All because Paul and Silas were willing to be enslaved temporarily, physically, even the, because they knew they were free. And they, God used that. He used them when they were free from the shackles and he used them when they were in the shackles. So maybe you feel like you're shackled right now. God can still use you. God can still work through you. In fact, he wants to. And in some cases, this is what makes that work because people see you where you are and yet you trust him. Okay? So don't wait till you get your act together to then minister to others because you may never minister to others. Back to Colossians, we start reading through and Paul's going to give us four warnings. Okay? Now, like railroad crossing signs with the, right? Or a, a bottle of poison with the skull and crossbones. There, we need warnings in life, right? Children need warning signs to tell them what's dangerous. And adults need warning signs to remember what's dangerous. Paul's given us four. One we talked about last week, and it's Gnosticism. And basically it was this. They were diminishing who Christ was. Instead of being who he said he is in verses 15 through 20, they were minimizing him, diminishing him to be just an angel. Now, Let's be straight. Angels, biblical angels are amazing, okay? I want you to picture um, uh, Superman, Wonder Woman rolled up into one without the spandex and holy in their behaviors and beliefs, okay? Now, we're talking about amazing, powerful beings that gladly submit to their creator. Created beings, no sin, obedient to, a, to, an, to the extreme. Now, there's tens of thousands times tens of thousands of those in the heavenly realm that we can't see but are just as real, if not more real, than we are. Okay? And they are a little higher than us right now, according to Hebrews, but one day we will actually rule angels. If that doesn't make you tremble, I don't know where... Maybe you're not breathing very much. Gnosticism. But we're, so that's in the verses that precede our verses. Now our verses start in 16 today, and this moves to the second warning. The, the warning of Gnosticism is, is diminishing Christ. The warning of legalism is trying to do things to earn God's favor. To try to, and this is what was happening in the Colossian church. There were people trying to teach the, the Colossian Christians how to be more spiritual, how to know God better. And if, you, if you'll jump through this hoop and jump through this hoop and, and practice these laws... And if you do them over and over and over so that everybody can see you doing them, then you know, you'll be closer to God. You'll know him better. Okay? There's probably, not an er, there's probably not a church in the nation, in our nation, that has not struggled with not preaching do better messages. You've heard them. You just got to do better. As, you know, they're telling you as a Christian, you just got to try harder. You just got to do better. 
And that is not the gospel. There's no freedom in that message. And I know that I've preached messages like that before. I know when I go back and look that if you're not careful, it's so easy to say something in such a way that it burdens your people instead of relieving them. You should leave this place lighter than when you came in. You should feel free to drop your bags of sin and guilt, shame and and all the rest, so that when you walk out of here, you feel free and forgiven. That's why I call it good news. You realize that. If you don't walk out of here with a smile on your face and joy in your heart because things are better than when you walked in, then you're not understanding. Now, I'm not saying your circumstances are all fixed. You're going right back to the same circumstances. If things were hard when you walked in, they're still hard. They're still there. But you have now been equipped to walk in and through them in the direction that can lead to peace and, and, and I think oftentimes reconciliation in that situation. But there are no guarantees because God doesn't make us do things. He freedom and yet he does work in and through us and those we're praying for. So don't lose hope. But a lot of times the answers to our prayers aren't changing the other person. A lot of times the answers to our prayers is, is God changing us even though that's not what we're asking for, right? We, we don't need to change. It's them that needs to change, right? So that everybody, whoever married somebody, right? We, we, we kind of live there, all right? But God is like, eh, well, you know, I got a better view than you do. I might have some ideas on that. Verse 16, chapter 2, Colossians. Paul continues, following his section on spiritual fullness in Christ, he says, therefore, in light of that, He gives us three don'ts. Don't let anyone judge you for what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Okay? So this is is, uh, the legalism argument. Paul's saying, don't let people judge you because you're not doing X, Y, and Z. Now, this shows a lot of the influence that some of these people who were teaching wrong things in the Church of Colossae, they may have believed that Christ is the Messiah, but they also believed that to to, to know God best, you needed to also practice things in the Old Testament. You needed to observe dietary laws. You needed to observe the festivals that are all there. You need to practice the, the Seder meal, and you need to um, make sure you're, you're worshiping on, on the festival days. And when there's a new moon, you're doing this, and when it's the Sabbath day, you're doing that. And it's very much do, do, do. It's kind of like a preacher getting up here and saying, if you don't go to church, there's a problem. Okay? Now, I realize that that message can be said in a way that is good, and I recognize that that message can be said, shared in a way that is harmful. Okay. If someone says you have to go to church services to, to know God better, then I would say you're right and wrong at the same time, and it depends on what you mean. And that's why these were so insidious, because there was enough truth there, depending on how you took it, that this would sound so good and legit. We don't do things to earn anything, and we don't do things so that God will move closer to us. There are, there are things such as cause and effect. There are things that we can do that are means to grace so that God will move and work in our lives. But you can do the same thing as someone else outwardly, but the motives matter, right? Why are you doing that? Why are you showing up here? Why are you 
uh, celebrating that spiritual holiday? You know, is it because you want to be seen as spiritual in the eyes of the people? Or is it because you want to receive whatever is available to, to draw you closer to God? One is full of pride and one is full of humility. And, and let's just be honest, right? We all struggle with this, right? Every Sunday morning, should I go today? Right? Well, let's check the weather. It's sunny. Beautiful day to go to the beach. It's raining. I don't want to get out in the rain. It's snowing. I can't drive on that. It's South Carolina. <laughs> right? We can come up with any reason depending, no matter what the weather's like. But why is that even a battle? Why is that even a conversation? We told our kids early on that it wasn't a decision we were making on Sunday morning. It was a decision that was made one time. And unless God providentially hindered that, and we didn't use that word with our kids, okay, uh, we basically, unless God throws up a roadblock and says, no, I need you to do this, we're going. We weren't doing it so that we would be seen as super spiritual, but our motives at times could easily be mixed, and that could be something that got in there and robbed us of the joy of the freedom in Christ. I don't have to go to church. When I'm on vacation... That's where my struggle is, right? Because I'm not usually coming here because I'm oftentimes somewhere else. I have to decide, am I going to go? Why am I going? And all of that all of a sudden becomes something that runs through our mind. We all deal with that, okay? And so that's happening here, and they're using that to motivate and, and manipulate people to do what they want, which is to create a false humility in these people, legalism. No freedom in that. Okay, so don't fall into that trap, Paul says. Don't be caught up in that. Verse 18 gives us another do not. And this one is mysticism. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. So he's Paul saying, be careful, don't be disqualified here. Such a person also goes into great detail, or detail, depending on where you're from, about what they have seen. This is visions. Some translations actually use the word visions. They are puffed up, that means proud, arrogant, with idle notions about their unspiritual mind. Reality check. They have lost, here's the problem. They have lost the connection with the head. Who's the head? Jesus, right? Jesus is the head. From whom the whole body, who's the body? That's us. Imagery. The whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Okay? What is mysticism? What they were teaching was to be more, um, what they were teaching was that you needed to do, you could get to know God better by doing two things. One is worship angels, and two is see visions, and talk about them, and, and brag about them, or whatever, to just talk about visions and angels, Okay? Um, remember we talked about earlier Gnosticism was taking Jesus and bringing him down to the level of an angel. Okay. And now here they're talking about worshiping because, because they couldn't dis dispute that Paul's letters and Jesus's words would be worship Jesus as Lord. So they couldn't dispute that. So the way they attacked that was they brought Jesus and meant, this is, this is what happens in our, in, in false religions, cults and all the rest. Everybody wants to take Christ from where he is and diminish him. Okay. That's how, that's how you know you're part of a false religion or a cult. And yes, false religions can have crosses on the doors. Okay? You've got to assess and be discerning. You've got to read your Bible so you can test and approve what those spirits are doing in that place. Okay? This is on you, not on one person. This is on you taking care of you and your family. 
We must be discerning. Okay, that's part of our role um, as parents in particular and families. But if you're an individual, it's part of your role to take care of yourself, to guard your heart, and to be aware. So mysticism, that's, that's the, the issue with that. Instead, the way to know Christ is to recognize, verse 19, that Jesus is the head and we are the body, and therefore we take our lead from him. And to grow and know him better is, is, is direct. It's something I do through prayer and through the word. The next warning, uh, I guess this is the last warning, asceticism. All right, And this is we found in verses 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ, he's going to give us another, instead of saying do not, he's going to say, why are you doing this? Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, let me pause there. Since you died with Christ is acknowledging that, that we in Christ are acknowledging that we've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. This is Paul in Galatians saying that, that I'm quoting. When we, when we get baptized and we lower somebody into the water and we raise them up again, we say buried together with Christ, which is another way of saying crucified with Christ and buried. We raise to walk a new life with him. Okay, that's, baptism is a spiritual, uh, it's, um, baptism is a, an object lesson illustrating that in terms that we can visualize, illustrating an abstract spiritual reality that happens to people who have trusted Christ. So if you have trusted Christ and you know him as Savior and Lord, it means that you have willingly been crucified spiritually with Christ. You've said, I am dying to my ways so that I may walk in his. I am literally surrendering my whole being to him. That's how you do that. You are not crucified in Christ if you have not surrendered to Christ. And there's a, I think there's people who have believed some and slapped a Christ label on it, and they're not there. Now, I don't know who that is, and I don't know how you figure that out, except to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want, it, I want to give you everything. And if there's hesitancy in your spirit, that's, not prob- that's probably normal. That's a normal temptation to not want to surrender to God, because he might send me to the Congo, and that's, you know, wherever. And he might. Count the costs. But if you're willing to do that, and you're willing to walk that out, that's a good sign you've been crucified with Christ. And that's freedom, freedom that really lasts, freedom that says, I'll go wherever you send me. I don't want to leave here, maybe. I don't want to get away from my grandkids. I don't want to do this, but I'm willing. You're, you're basically taking a check. That's what people used to pay for things with if you're young. Piece of paper, sign the bottom, fill out how much. And in this case, I would sign the bottom, date it, and leave the amount blank. And you could say, it could be a money amount, but you could also say it could be a, a, just tell me what you want me to do. What is your will? And put it in that line, Lord. I've already signed and said, yes, Lord. That's the way he wants us to live. With every area of life, our jobs, our relationships, our, our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pains, he wants us to surrender that all with a blank check. That's where freedom comes. When you have died to self, how can someone take your life? You've already died. So, you know, right, if if somebody wants to take your life because you believe in God, you can go, I've already died. I've already made the decision to live as Christ, to die is more of Christ. It's gain. And and Cassie Bernal in 1999 in Columbine High School literally did that with a gun in her face. She said yes. It's the title of her biography. You want to read the story. It's a great great story. It's It's inspiring and it's exemplary of what we're talking about. It happens in our country in these days. This is not just Bible times we're talking about. There have been more people crucified, sorry, more people persecuted for their faith 
in the 20th century than in the previous 19 centuries combined. It is still happening in our world, and you could still find yourself face-to-face with someone that says, were you willing to die for him? But here's the thing that's harder than dying for Christ, and that is living for him. Because I only have to decide to die for him once. So he continues, since you've died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, okay, there are demonic forces at work all around us, why, as though you were still, you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Look at the rules. Don't handle this, don't taste, don't touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish, i.e. temporary, with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. In other words, they're impressive. They're tempting. People are going to honor you for how spiritual you are. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, so what's he saying? Don't be enslaved by asceticism which is don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. It's, it's a lot of don'ts. It's, think of, I kind of think of the monks, and, and I don't mean to question the heart of any monk, but monks, they, what do they do? They pull away from the world, and they simplify the way that they live. Good, good things to do, right? Silence and solitude are spiritual disciplines that we as Americans do not understand and practice very often. So we miss out. But you can also take it in a way and become ascetic and meaning you are, you are doing it as an end in itself. In other words, I'm pulling away so people will pat me on the back about how spiritual I am. And, and you can get in a crowd with a bunch of other people doing the same thing and you end up patting each other on the back. And it's all about that and that's the end. That's all you get. There's no value in that and it doesn't keep you from being tempted, Okay. And we do that. We get caught up in that, saying no to things. So, yes, we need to learn to discipline ourselves to, to deny self, right? Jesus said, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. So there is a, an appropriate use of that discipline in our lives. But the motive behind it is, is everything, right? And so Paul is giving us these warnings. All right, you got your piece of paper with your name on it? If you got that, I want you to pull it out. And if you got your Bible, I want you to open your Bible. And anywhere in it, I want you to drop that piece of paper in there and close your Bible. When was the last time you heard a preacher tell you to close your Bible? All right. So you got your Bible. You got a piece of paper in there with your name in it. Okay? Now, one of the things that we read, and, and it's all over Colossians, and it's all over a lot of Paul's letters, is this phrase, in Christ. And sometimes it says, Christ in you. Okay? So... If that piece of paper with my name on it represents me, and this Bible, the Word of God, represents Christ, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus. So the Word of Christ is Christ's the Word. Then we're in Christ, symbolically. This would be a great way to picture us being in Christ. And wherever Christ goes, I'm with him, aren't I? And wherever I go, Christ is with me. The fullness of Christ is in me, says Paul already wrote, and the fullness of the Godhead was in Christ. So I have everything I need in Christ to do whatever it is that he's calling me to do. 
So the question is, right, there's always the question, crisis of faith, do I actually believe that? Do I believe that? When the screws are tightened and things go sideways, do I run to Christ or do I run to my medicine cabinet? Now, I don't mean that literally, I mean that figuratively, although it may be a literal thing for some people. Do I believe that Christ really is indwells in me, the spirit of Christ, the fullness of God, that I might be empowered, encouraged, and equipped to live the life he called me to live? That should fire you up. That should cause you and me to say, I want to rest and walk in that freedom. And that comes by saying, I believe. And it doesn't just mean the words. It means that I believe at the end of the day, I can't do this thing called life and really be good at it apart from somebody who gives me the power to live it the way Christ leads me. And if you're like, well, I'm not sure I want to follow Christ. Well, I don't know. Somebody who said that the, the, the command of commands is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That sounds like a pretty good guy to follow. Okay? I don't know if I've ever heard anybody call me to anything greater than to love my creator and my Redeemer, and as a result and out of the overflow of my gratitude for that gift that I didn't deserve and could not earn in a million years, then turn and reflect, deflect, radiate that same love that made that possible to my neighbors where I live, work, learn, and play. Christian faith is not complicated when you get down to what is it really about. Does that affect you at home? Absolutely. What if the other, doesn't matter. But what if, nope, doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter what is against you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is enough. And you and I just have to decide whether we believe that. And we have to do it for more than 10 minutes, right? Because, you know, between now and the time we sing the finish the last song, you're going to be like, yes. And then you walk out the doors and it's like, well, let's not drop that. Let's rest in that. And how do you do that? And that's being in this. Okay? It's being in this. It's breathing because you're, you're, you're recognizing that these words are not just words from people. These are words from God through people meant to give us everything we need to do all he's called us to do with the right motives. Let's pray. Lord God, we... Uh, we admit that this sounds good, maybe too good to be true. Um, it's hard to believe sometimes. Even when we want to, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We acknowledge our fragility, our weaknesses in every area of life. But we also acknowledge, Lord, I hope and pray that you are more than enough. You are fully sufficient to give us the power we need to do the right thing for the right reason consistently, regardless of how it plays out, believing that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for folks right now that are in here struggling because we, we're all struggling with something. We're all suffering from something, if we're honest. And I just pray right now your mercy and grace on the, on, on the folks here, folks that are struggling with relationships. They need you to 
to help them love that person right now. Love them well. Yes, love them unconditionally. Yes, love them even though they probably don't deserve it. We need your help to love our neighbor and even those closer to us as ourselves. Help us believe that that matters and that it can make a difference. Give us the patient endurance that says, I'm going to persevere in this and not just try it for a day, a week. But I'm going to choose to do this unended, open-ended, regardless of how it plays out. Because I want to have the peace that I'm walking with the Lord, my creator, first. Everything else is second to that. I thank you that at the end of the day, to know Christ is to know the one who made us on purpose for a purpose forever. And that there is an incredible peace that comes with that. A freedom that cannot be explained other than through the gospel. So Lord, I pray you'll help us flesh this out. Help us to lead others to do this and encourage one another to stay um, faithful to this, Lord, no matter what the challenges are ahead of us. We love you, but we need to learn to love you more. So help us with that too. We pray for your grace and mercy in our lives and that your peace might reign in our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.